There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Thank you for deciding to join me on this episode of Revealing the True Light. We're going to explore some really interesting territory today that's going to make a difference in your life. Last week, we examined the Hindu greeting, Namaste, and we discovered that it is a proclamation of a certain belief in that worldview that there is an inherent divinity within every human being and that there is an impersonal life force called Brahman that expresses itself as everything you see in the material universe. So namaste is a declaration of an impersonal life force manifesting in that person's life that you're greeting. Now, quite different than that is the Hebrew word shalom, which is the Hebrew greeting. Normally, when Jews enter into each other's presence or leave the company of another Jew or uh, Gentile, for that matter, the word is shalom. And it is not a proclamation as much as it is an appeal, a prayerful appeal that God would do in the life of that person what you are declaring. And it's an appeal to a personal God not a proclamation of an impersonal force. And so again, it's very different, a very different approach altogether. But it is a mysterious ancient Hebrew greeting that has spiritual overtones. And I think we need to learn what those are. And it's going to make us appreciate all the more the power of making that statement. Now, it comes from the Hebrew word shalom which means to be safe in mind or in body or in all the conditions of your life. And so when you say shalom, you are praying that God will keep that person safe in every way, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, materially, that they will be kept in a safe place. But it has multiple meanings, like a diamond that has many facets that reflects light different directions. It's the same with the word shalom. It has sub-meanings that are quite unique. For instance, the word shalom means welfare, prosperity, health, rest, peace, wholeness, completion. And some say it bears with it the essence of meaning, nothing missing and nothing broken. I want somebody to say that over my life every single day because I don't want anything missing and I certainly don't want anything broken. We Gentiles are very deficient when it comes to the power of words, especially our words of greeting. When we come into someone's presence or see them afar off, we'll say hi. And when we leave each other, we say bye. There's no power in that. 
Or you may say, give me a high five. Well, there's no power in that either. There's no faith attached to that. It's just a joyous greeting. But when you say shalom, that immediately brings God into that meeting as a third party. And you're praying that God will come into your conversation, that he will come into your meeting that day with his presence to do what he can do alone. So it's a much more powerful way of coming into each other's presence. Now let's go to a very interesting biblical event where the word shalom is hidden in the Bible. David comes up to his brethren with bread and cheese. He's brought them from his father. They're in a very stressful and dangerous situation. Goliath is challenging the armies of Israel. And Goliath says uh, that if you defeat me, all the Philistines will be slaves to you. But if you bring a man out on the battlefield that I defeat, then all of you will be slaves to us. So this is a pivotal point in their lives and in the situation that Israel is in with regard to their relationship with the Philistines. And David comes up to his brother, and let me just read it from the Bible. David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Now, that's what the English version, the New King James Version says, that he greeted his brothers. However, in the Hebrew, it says shalom. He shalomed his brothers, so to speak. Just like you high-five someone, he shalomed his brothers. In other words, he walked into their stressful situation and claimed safety and peace and blessing and welfare and prosperity. God prospering them in this battle against this giant, so much more powerful than saying, hi, guys. <laughs> I think we need to learn something from our Jewish friends. All right, let's go. And of course, you know the outcome of that story. Goliath was defeated. Could it have been David's faith in making that proclamation? I'm sure that added to the ingredients that brought forth victory that day. Let's go to the priestly blessing that God gave to Moses and to Aaron to proclaim over the children of Israel. Now, I find that so curious, so amazing that God would inspire them to pray a certain way. He would communicate to them the exact words to pray back to him so that he could fulfill it. That shows you God's passion to do the very things this prayer proclaims. And when they would gather together, they would, of course, end their worship sessions with this word, peace, in the English. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the English. But in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. So the last word of the prayer is a proclamation of shalom over the congregation that's gathered together to worship. Hmm. And of course, this can be a prayer prayed for individuals also. So what you're saying is the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you welfare and protection and prosperity and wholeness and completion, peace and rest in God, nothing missing and nothing broken. And then God watches over that 
to fulfill it in your life. How amazing is that? I like to use that prayer. I like to say that prayer in our gatherings at our church because it's a God-inspired prayer and God intends to fulfill it. Shalom to you. In fact, I pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. If I don't say anything else on this podcast today, if you receive that prayer by faith, that should be well worth us coming together on this subject. Now, one of my favorite verses that incorporates the word shalom is Isaiah 26, verse 3. And though it's not evident in the English, in the Hebrew, the word shalom appears twice. It says that God will keep him in perfect peace. You will keep him. It's actually directed to God. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The word shalom is translated perfect and translated peace. I stumbled over that. I couldn't figure it out why it would be that way. And I called a Messianic Jewish friend of mine, and he said, Oh, my brother, that is double shalom. You get double the peace and double the rest and double the blessing when you are able to keep your mind fixed on God. Easier said than done, because the mind is a very unruly thing. No wonder. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is an area of negative thinking that's entrenched in your inner psyche. It's, it's stuck there because of repeatedly going back to that negative kind of response to situations in your life. And the Bible said the weapons of our warfare are not Carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself, every thought, every idea, every concept that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, the knowledge of God declares to you that you are victorious, you are triumphant, you are an overcomer, but your human imagination works against that sometimes and says, you're a mess. You're a failure. You're incapable. And it fills you with fear over the future and depression over the past and, and makes the problems of the present loom up in front of you like they cannot be overcome. And so your mind gets filled with negativity. But this scripture says, you will keep him, oh God, you will keep him in shalom, shalom whose mind is stayed on you. So I challenge you to grab hold of your mind and no matter how much willpower you have to exert, make your mind shift to an upward gaze where you keep your eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on the God who has chosen you, the God who loves you with an everlasting love, the God who has forgiven you and the God who makes all things work together for good. You will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. Next, let's go to the wonderful story about the Shunammite woman that 
really teaches us the power of positive declarations in the face of disaster. If you remember the story, the Shunammite woman could not have children, and because she reached out in compassion to give the prophet Elisha what he needed, a place to stay and so forth, uh, she was blessed with a child. And then later on, years later, that child was in the field with his father and he fell down screaming, my head, my head, and fell to the ground and died. And she went and got her child, laid him on the uh, bed and then ran to find the prophet. And the Bible said she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she said, it is well. Now, we don't really get the power of what she said in the English statement, although it was an amazing faith statement to say it is well. That was her way of counteracting this horrible situation and injecting faith that God would turn it around. But in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom, not only for her statement, but for the questions Gehazi asked. When he said, is it well with you? He said in the Hebrew, shalom with you, shalom with your husband, shalom with your child. And she said, shalom, which was her way of saying everything is under the canopy of God's care. God is providing welfare and health and prosperity for us. Well, her child is dead. And yet she says, shalom. That was her way of saying, God is going to fix this problem. We need to learn from her example because of course the child was raised from the dead and God did fix the situation. According to her faith, as your faith is, so be it unto you. Now let me go to Gideon. This is a powerful story. Gideon was called of God to conquer the Midianites. And of course, he was an ordinary person that got called with an extraordinary calling and felt unfit for the job. He told the angel of the Lord, I'm the least in my father's house, and my father is the least in all the tribe of Manasseh. And yet God said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel, have not I sent thee. And so he was a God-sent man. And because of that, he had might from God to take care of the situation. But what I want to show you is that before he went out to battle with the Midianites, he tore down his father's grove and idol where he worshiped a false deity and he built an altar there, and he called that altar Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord, our peace. Well, wait a second. He hasn't even gone into warfare yet. He's not even yet faced the battle, but in advance, he proclaims that God will bring an outcome of peace. He doesn't name the altar the Lord who will go into battle with us, he names the altar Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace, as if to say it's a done deal. God called me, so he's not going to send me into the battle to fail. He's going to send me into the battle to win. So I urge you to build an altar in your heart of hearts and call it Yahweh Shalom, 
before you face tomorrow's challenges, before you face the battles of next week or next year. Learn from Gideon's example and do something very similar. Now let's go to the popular prophecy that Isaiah gave in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, quoted so many times around the time of year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the original Hebrew, though, it is Sar Shalom, S-A-R-S-H-A-L-O-M, Sar Shalom. Well, there's a hidden revelation there, because if he's going to be the source of Shalom flowing into your life, and he did promise that he would send Shalom, he would send peace like a river flowing into Jerusalem, and I believe that's a personal promise, too, that he will send shalom like a river flowing into our lives. But first, he must be the prince of shalom to us. We must exalt him in our lives to a place of princely authority where he reigns on the throne of our hearts. And then when he is in charge, shalom will come because his dominion pervades our life and he can proclaim shalom, saturating and penetrating every corner of our existence. Let it be so, Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he said when he came among his disciples in the English is the word peace. But in the original setting, I believe it was a repetition of the promise he gave before he left. And I believe the word he used was not English. He didn't speak in English. It was Hebrew. And while he walked the earth, he had already told them, peace I leave with you, like an inheritance. It was his way of saying, I'm going somewhere, but I'm going to leave you an inheritance. Peace I leave with you. My peace, not a peace that just comes from God, but the very peace of God. He said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, because shalom can calm the fears of your heart. And he said, my peace I leave with you. I give it to you. It's a gift, but it's shalom. And then, as I mentioned a few moments ago, when he rose from the dead, he's reaffirming that commitment, because the first word that came out of his mouth when he stood in their midst was, peace be unto you. Again, I, I can only imagine him saying that in the Hebrew. Shalom be to you. They've just watched his horrendous execution on the cross, crucified, buried in a tomb. But he rises from the dead and his choice word to begin the revelation of what he is as the resurrected Messiah is the word shalom. That gives me an appreciation for this word more than anything I've taught you so far on this podcast. Now, all through the New Testament, you find wonderful scriptures that refer to our God as the God of peace. And probably my favorite one of all is Romans 16, 20. 
that says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The New King James Version says crush. The God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. But I prefer the King James rendering because it ties all the way back to the prophecy in the beginning. Remember, after the fall of Adam and Eve took place, the first prophetic utterance that was directed to the devil who came in the form of a serpent was this. The Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and it shall crush your head. It will bruise your head. And that's where we get the connection that now there's a fulfillment of what uh, of what was spoken in the beginning, uh, that the seed of the woman, which was fulfilled in the Messiah himself, came to crush or to bruise the head of the serpent, who would bruise his heel in the process, the heel of the seed of the woman, which happened when the nails went through his feet. His heel was bruised. You can recover from a bruised heel, but you cannot recover from a bruised head or a crushed head, which is what happened to Satan. His power was crushed. His dominion was crushed. And the God of Shalom did it. The God of peace did it for us. He crushed the power of Satan so that you and I can be in a place of preeminence, a place of authority, unafraid of what the enemy tries to do in our lives. Another location is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful prayer that is. That the God of peace, the God of shalom, himself would sanctify you completely. And the word sanctified means to be cleansed from the defilement of sin, set apart unto God, and promoted into your purpose, the thing you are dedicated to or consecrated to by God. All right, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body come under this shalom of God and be preserved blameless. That's impossible for you to be blameless, for me to be blameless, but that's the power of what the blood of Jesus can do. So may the God of Shalom preserve you. Now this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church, but also on a higher level, he was moved on by the Holy Spirit when he wrote that prayer. So the Holy Spirit who makes intercession for us according to the will of God that is said in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit flowed through Paul as he prayed this prayer, not just for the Thessalonians, but for the whole church. And so I received that prayer. I lift my hand and I say, I received that prayer in Jesus' name. Finally, in Hebrews 13, it says in verse 20 and 21, the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the God of shalom brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. That's what shalom does. It makes you complete. It brings wholeness and fullness in your life. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. May the God of shalom do that 
for you. And finally, I want to bring to your remembrance the prophecy of Isaiah 66, 12. It's speaking about new Jerusalem to come, but you and I, as a part of the bride of Christ, are a part of new Jerusalem. In fact, the bride and new Jerusalem are one and the same, according to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation. And God said to new Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace. I will extend shalom to her like a river. There has never been a city in the entire world more entrenched in war and conflict and tension than the city of Jerusalem. It's been burnt to the ground 28 times. There's always conflict going on. And it's not because of the Muslims versus the Jews or the Muslims versus the Christians who uh, recognize that as a sacred city. It's because of the satanic powers that understand the prophetic word that declare that one day Jerusalem will be the city of the great king when he reigns over all the earth. And so the enemy futilely is trying to create such chaos in that city. One day all nations of the world will be brought together against that city to try and crush the power of the Jewish people because it's satanically motivated attacks. It's, it's, it's not just, uh, it's not of the mind of the generals and the war makers in this world, the leaders, the politicians, the kings, the potentates, the rulers, the presidents, the prime ministers that have this anti-Semitic attitude. It's all behind the veil, evil forces that want to do everything they can to destroy Jerusalem. But God's will and God's plan will prevail in the end. And that's encapsulated in this verse. Isaiah 66, 12. Thus says the Lord, I will extend shalom to her like a river. Even in the moment when it looks like Jerusalem is going to be destroyed when all the nations of the earth are gathered together against Israel to battle. Right then, the Prince of Peace will descend from heaven, Sar Shalom, and he will set up his kingdom in that city and crush the enemy forces and of the increase of his government and peace, his Shalom, there will be no end. Isn't that good to know? Because one day the Shalom of God will cover the earth to such degree, the wolf and the lamb will lay down together. The lion will eat straw, no longer a carnivorous beast, but herbivorous, because the shalom of God will turn this world into a paradise again. And the shalom of God will turn your world into a paradise, an experience of heaven on earth on our journey that direction. And all of that is what you say when you greet someone with the word shalom. Maybe you should do that from now on instead of saying, give me a high five. Well, thank you for being with me on this podcast, and I hope it's been a real blessing to you. And be sure uh, be sure to go to the website, thetruelight.net. There's lots of articles dealing with issues that are comparative religion issues that are very important. And there's plenty of testimonies, transformation stories, I call them, of people who have come out from other religions to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So visit thetruelight.net.
Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.